Philemon is the smallest book of uh, Paul's letters. Uh, it's an easy one to skip over, so if you uh, do find it just before Hebrews, just be careful, your pages may be stuck, so uh, get them, uh, open them gently. If you need to use the contents page, please do so. No one's going to, to judge you to do that. But as I said, it's a, it's a small book, but it's a powerful book, and it's got one key message, and, and that message is forgiveness. And uh, David last week went through uh, the Lord's Prayer with us. Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us uh, this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is a key part of being a Christian. Uh, if, if we have a look at some other uh, verses, Ephesians chapter 4, 32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And Mark chapter 11, verse 24 to 25. Now, verse 23 is talking about the power of faith, and faith without doubting uh, is able to move mountains into the sea. So verse 24 says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. And that's very reminiscent of um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 24, where Jesus says that as you go and uh, make an offering, if you are angry with anyone, uh, before you make the offering, go to that person and reconcile with that person, and then go back and make the offering. And that's what forgiveness is about. God wants us to be reconciled to him, but he deeply wants us to be reconciled with each other. But of course it would be difficult to ask for forgiveness. Um, I have a friend who is currently studying psychology, so I sent him a message and just asked him the question about why why do people find it difficult to be able to forgive? Now, we weren't able to catch up, but he sent me a message with, with some points. And he said, the reason that it's difficult for people to forgive sometimes is there's a range of things. It can come down to persons' perspectives and beliefs, the nature of the engagement between the two parties, history of similar circumstances, and current life situation. But ultimately, to seek forgiveness or to forgive someone means we need to make ourselves vulnerable. And that, that's why it can be so difficult to forgive we need to come to a vulnerability to either seek forgiveness or to forgive someone. But it's interesting because the book of Philemon, while the core message is forgiveness, 
it doesn't actually use the word at all. It, it's a persuasive letter that um, it's from Paul to Philemon to try and restore a relationship between Philemon and his runaway slave, Onesimus. Paul at no point instructs Philemon to forgive Onesimus, though it is strongly implied. Instead, Paul uses his carefully created words uh, to bring Philemon to a place that he will make the right choice, that he will obey and forgive Onesimus. Now, firstly, we have to ask ourselves, who is Philemon? Because he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Um, so here are some things that we know about Philemon, purely based on what's in, in this book. Now, it's believed that he lived in Colossae. Uh, his name was kind of like a, a Colossae name. Um, we know that Paul brought Philemon to faith. So in verse 19, it says, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own selves besides. Um, it's possible that Philemon went to Ephesus and met Paul there. Um, he was a, Philemon was a faithful Christian. Uh, in verse 1, it says that he was a beloved friend and fellow labourer. Uh, in verse 7, Paul also mentions that Philemon is a brother. Um, and we can also see that Philemon is fairly wealthy. Uh, we know that because, one, he had a slave. He had at least one slave, Onesimus. Uh, so generally only the wealthy would have slaves. But also in verse 2, we see that he has a church in his house. Most uh, Israelites or uh, people of that um, uh, era didn't have houses big enough to be able to have people in there. And there weren't churches like this uh, dedicated for people to come. So people had to have it uh, in their house. Now, here's just an image of a first century Israelite house. And, and you can see it's, it's fairly small. This one uh, obviously has two levels, but there's nowhere where someone would be able to bring a congregation together. Con compared to someone who had a more, uh, who was a bit wealthier, They've got a place for a slave to stay. They've got a bedroom and a separate kitchen. And you can see in the middle there that that's where the congregation would come to be able to, to meet. So, so we know those things uh, about Philemon. As I said, this is the only uh, place that we actually meet Philemon. Philemon. Um, Uh, and as I, um, as I mentioned, while the book is about forgiveness, at no, no point is the word used. Uh, Philemon is not instructed to forgive. Uh, and Paul tactfully brings this out in the way that he writes the letter. The book is a persuasive letter to ensure that Philemon sees what he needs to do and make the correct obedient choice. Not to be told what to do and then do it in defiance. Now, I've taken this from John MacArthur. Uh, he breaks the book up in, into these sections. Uh, so the first three verses is the greetings, which is a general structure that Paul uses. Uh, then verse 4 to 7, which we'll look at today, is the character of one who forgives. Verses 8 to 18 are the actions of one who forgives. And verses 19 to 25 is the motives 
of one who forgives. So today we're going to focus on verses 1 to 7, the greetings and the character. Let's, let's come to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you that we can be gathered here today of us. I pray that as we go through this book of Philemon, this, this small book, that we can unpack things that are so meaningful, Lord. Uh, as we look through forgiveness and how it is so important as a church, forgiveness, we are mindful uh, that we are one seeking forgiveness where we have done wrong, but also uh, giving forgiveness so we can be reconciled. Reconciled not just to you, Lord, but reconciled to each other. So Lord, I pray as we go through this that you would be able to open our hearts, that we may be able to see what you are trying to tell us. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay. So let's read Philemon verses 1 through to 7. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow labourer, to the beloved Abphiah, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So, as I mentioned, the first three verses of Philemon are the greetings. And then Paul generally starts all of his letters off with this. He introduces himself, he gives himself uh, a title, um, and this is exactly what he does here as well. Now, Philemon is one of the books of the prison Epistles. So Paul was in Rome, he was, he was in prison, and while Paul was in prison, he wrote four books. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Philemon is also one of three books that were not written to churches, but written to individuals. That's 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and then of course Philemon. I've looked at these books simply to see the titles that Paul gave himself, uh, in these books. And, and we can see from Ephesians, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Uh, Colossians, he uses the same, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. First and second Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. A an apostle was an authoritative title. It was, apostles were um, nominated by God to go out and preach the word. The, the New Testament is written by the apostles. So we don't have any apostles now. Uh, that's, that was for the, the time of Paul and, um, uh, and Jesus. The, uh, the disciples were apostles. Um, so Paul would often use this to show his authority, say, I am, I am apostle. You should therefore listen to what I'm say, saying because it's by the will of God that I've been given uh, this authority. Now, when we come to Philemon, I mentioned before that at no point does Paul tell Philemon to forgive, even though it's strongly implied. And the reason for that is that 
Paul wants Philemon to come to a point that he makes the right choice. He's not making this, uh, he's not forgiving in defiance. So if, if Paul were to use the word apostle, it would be almost like him telling Philemon that you must uh, listen to me, even though the letter is more persuasive. It's almost like a boss sending an employee an email saying, look, we have got to work late. Would you be able to, from your boss, by the way, I sign your paycheck? You know you've got a choice, but you probably don't. You're going to have to stay back late. So, so Paul stays away from using the word apostle. In Philippians, uh, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And in Titus, he uses bondservant again with apostle. So bondservant is a slave. Now, because Paul is asking Philemon to forgive a runaway slave, it's probably not going to be the most appropriate word to use there. Um, If Philemon reads that, what's he going to think? A slave of Christ is asking a runaway slave to be forgiven. It may not go down too well. So Paul stays away from that phrase as well. And instead, he looks at his own situation and he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, Now, Paul had been thrown into prison in Rome, as I said, but it was the will of God that had done that. He was out proclaiming the word. People didn't like that and threw him in. So by the will of God, Paul has been thrown into prison. And it's, it's interesting to note that while Paul is in, is in prison, um, look, th- th- this could be a way to, again, soften the blow for Philemon, say, I'm in prison, but I'm still out here uh, writing this letter to you. I haven't stopped my mission. Um, uh, and, and it could also be Philemon looking at it going, well, you are in prison. You're, you're in a worse situation than myself. I, I should still be listening to you. So again, trying to plead with Philemon rather than, rather than tell him. Now, Paul does mention Timothy here and calls him our brother. Now, this here, he puts Timothy there because Timothy is, is obviously going to be the pastor of Ephesus. Um, and Paul is putting him at the front here, basically telling Philemon, look, I have given Timothy authority, but this doesn't diminish the plea that Paul has given Philemon because obviously Timothy's not the author of this letter. So Paul's simply telling uh, Philemon by putting Timothy here that, yes, Timothy does have uh, uh, authority, but this doesn't affect this letter at all. Now, in the second part of Verse 1, he says, To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow labourer. Now, throughout the, the book, uh, Paul is trying to build unity. He's trying to build uh, fellowship, brotherhood, uh, unity, family. Um, so he uses our beloved friend. Yeah. In verse 7, at the end of verse 7, he calls Philemon his brother, Here again, Timothy, our brother. In verse 16, he even says Onesimus is our brother. So throughout the whole book, again, thinking about persuasion, he is building up this 
we're all one family and you too are part of that. You, you are a loved friend. And of course, fellow labourer, Philemon is working in the church. He, he's not being passive, he's out there actually working for the sake of Christ. But in verse 2, he mentions two other people and also the church in your house. So we need to stop and ask, if this is a personal letter to Philemon, why is Paul also mentioning the church and at fire, who uh, some, some translations say our sister? Um, most people believe that that is Philemon's wife. And Archippus, our fellow soldier, again, most people think that that is Philemon's son. But firstly, why does, uh, why does Paul mention the church in your house? And I think there are potentially a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's possible that Philemon was either a leader in the church or a prominent member. We're not actually told, so um, I'm kind of taking that from uh, some of the verses, but uh, that is a little bit subjective. Uh, but if the church, so th there would be, firstly, because the church has been uh, is mentioned here, there's an ex expectation that the letter will be written out to the church. If it's going to be written out to the church, they're going to hear what Paul is saying. They're going to understand why Paul is saying what he's saying and what the request is. So therefore, the church is now a witness. If... Uh, if the church is a witness, it stops Philemon to being able to hide the letter and, as one commentator says, being quietly disobedient. Um, the other reason is that if he is a leader in the church, the church will be looking to see what his actions are. If, if Philemon properly forgives Onesimus, then the church will look at that and realise that they need to be following, and they, that she's showing how to forgive. If he doesn't forgive, then the church then has to question, why hasn't he forgiven after the letter has been received? But then also at fire and archivist. So why is his family uh, mentioned in this letter? And as, as I was going through this, a, a thought, an image kind of came into my mind. Thinking of a family that goes out, for, goes out for the night and they come home and they see the door open. But they realise that someone's gone into the house, so they rush in, they try to see what's been stolen. Good, the TV's still there, the important stuff's still there, um, the money for some reason is still there, but they go looking through and all they can find that's been missing is the father's gold watch. Now, if we think about the wife and the children, they haven't lost anything in all of this. But they still feel exposed. Someone's still gone into their house. Someone has uh, still stolen from one of their loved ones. And this is similar to a fire and archivist. While the letter is not directly written to them, they may still feel exposed because Onesimus has run away, has stolen from them. We, we don't know what Onesimus has stolen. Uh, 
there is a claim that something of value uh, has, has in fact been stolen. Um, but again, we're not told what that is. But having a slave run away creates vulnerability for that fire and archivist. So having them be part of this letter, they too need to be part of that forgiveness. Um, and they also need to support Philemon in the forgiveness as well. If, uh, if Philemon is the only one who sees the letter again and he does, you know, he forgives, but at fire he is still angry about it, it's, it's not true forgiveness in the family. It's uh, so that they need to become together in one. Um, Now, verse 3. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because Neil went through this in his first sermon on First Thessalonians. So, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Once we are saved, we are saved through grace and we receive peace from God through that. It's not our peace. As um, in, um, uh, Jesus says, you know, my peace I give to you. So these first three verses, the, the greeting, Paul is really setting up the whole letter. He's, he's setting the groundwork. Firstly, he's um, uh, mentioned that, yes, he's a prisoner. Uh, he's brought in the church as a witness. He's brought in the family members as well to be able to come into the, the forgiveness and, and be part of that as well. But the next part, the verses, parts four to seven, we start looking at the character of one who forgives. Now, firstly, verse four, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Paul's focus on all of his letters is, is not on himself. When writing this letter, he is in chains, but still thanks God for Philemon and make sure that he always mentions in his prayers, and he does this in all of his letters. And maybe that's why God's put him in prison. His prayers have become so long, he needs the time to do it. But it's a verse that we can easily read over, because uh, this is in a lot of his letters. Um, we can kind of read over it and, and not think much about it. But it's important to stop and ask ourselves, are we doing this? Firstly, are we being thankful for other people? And I think you know, when we teach our kids to pray, we say, what are you being thankful for? And they say, well, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my teachers. I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my, I'm thankful for my. Paul doesn't do that. He goes, I'm thankful for you. I'm th now, Again, we're not up to what he's thankful for, but straight away, I thank my God, making mention of you, always in my prayers. Is that something that we're doing? Are our prayers focused on us? And there's nothing wrong with being thankful for family, thankful for the church, thankful uh, for our jobs and everything. There's nothing wrong with that. But are we going that next step and going, I'm thankful for this person, even though I personally don't get anything from this, because it's for the glorification of God. 
So th that's just a bit of a, a side note, but I thought it was important to stop just there quickly and just think about that because it's a verse, as I said, it's too easily uh, just skipped over. But it is something that Paul does well. Praying always or praying ceaselessly, he always has got a thankful heart, always got some, uh, something to be thankful for. But in verse 5, he's not vague on what he is thankful for. Hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, Paul is always hearing about believers. Now, when he says hearing, more likely given Paul's love for the saints himself, he's probably always asking, and then people uh, are telling him. But in Colossians 1.4, it says, Heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Ephesians 1.5, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Philippians 1.27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is at the heart of Paul's prayer to God, that the people he is praying for would have a strong faith in Christ. And so at the beginning, so hearing of your love and faith. In Galatians 5.6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Faith is a gift from God, and the outpouring of love is the evidence of this faith. We are saved through faith alone, but because of this faith, if we are obedient, we then show our love. And this is what is happening here. Paul knows that Philemon is saved, but he's continued to hear of Philemon's faith and love of Jesus Christ. And this is pouring out to his love of other Christians, the saints. And this is not a passive love. It's an active love, as we see in the next couple of verses uh, that I've got here. So Matthew 22 37. A scribe or lawyer has come to Jesus and asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. And then 1 John chapter 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death to life that's eternal life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And then in verse 16, by this we know love, because he had laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And this is the extent of the love that we should be showing the brethren, that if we are asked to, we will lay down our lives just as Jesus laid down his life. It's not a passive love where we sit down and say, I love you. That, that isn't true love. True love is getting up and then doing something. And we will see later on that's what Philemon is doing. Although maybe not perfect, he is still showing true love. And this is an important character trait for someone 
who forgives. If you don't love the saints, what reason do you have to forgive? But Philemon loves God, and he is obedient in his love for the saints to the point that Paul hears about this. It's what Philemon is known for. Is that what you're known for as well? If someone asks you, what, what do you know about this person? Is it they love the saints? Now, verse 6. While I was going through and doing research, pretty much everyone said that this is the most difficult verse in, in the whole book. Different translations have different, you know, different wording and it can actually prove very difficult to understand what it is actually saying. Now, the New American Standard does add, I pray, at the beginning of this. It's in italics, so it's something that they've added, uh, but it's signifying that this is the prayer that Paul has for Philemon in this initial part of the character of someone who forgives. Uh, now, the, um, the Greek word here, so where we've got sharing, the Greek word is koinonia. Apologies if I haven't pronounced that correctly. And the, the New King James says fair, uh, sharing. Other, uh, other translations have fellowship or participation. And it's, fellowship is much more than just coming together and enjoying one's company. Anyone can do that. It's a bond we have with one another that's produced by faith. It's also the bond we have together with Christ. And it's the next trait in relation to being one who forgives. And I've put up there powerful fellowship. Brian Borgman says, when people have faith in the Lord, they become identified and related to one another which has been forged by the Holy Spirit. Now, we have a bond with Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 1 John 1.3 That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We also have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And we also have fellowship with one another. But if we talk in the light as he is, oh, sorry, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And the communion that we all participate uh, partook in uh, earlier today, is also fellowship. From 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. And while the fellowship brings about the benefit of being one body, there are also responsibilities. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 talks about exhortation. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1.11 Paul asks for prayer. You are you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, which is talking about the end times, uh, also talks about comfort and edification. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 26 talks about mutual love and concern. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Fellowship brings us together uh, to support one another, to build each other up, to pray for one another, to weep with one another, to suffer or rejoice with each other. And now that Onesimus is saved, he is part of that fellowship, part of the body, part of the unity. But Paul is praying for Philemon that his fellowship would be effective or powerful. So the warning here, or I should say, so to be effective, something must happen. It's an action. Something can't be effective if there is no action to it. But the warning here, of course, is that our fellowship can be ineffectual. And that's something that we should all be dwelling on. Are we just fellowshipping on a superficial level? Are we coming to church, singing, having communion, listening to a sermon, having a coffee afterwards, and is that it? Or are we going a bit deeper and sharing with one another, praying with one another, uh, rejoicing, weeping with one another? And the question is, what is Philemon going to do? Now Onesimus is back and he is one of the saints and part of the fellowship. Now, the last part of this verse, uh, by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ, probably troubled uh, me the most. I uh, couldn't quite get my head around uh, what, what it was trying to say, so I had to dig a, a little bit deeper. And, and that's all right. There are going to be verses in the Bible that we don't quite get um, that we do have to dig. We have to research uh, a lot more than what we would normally. And, and that's good. That that's, allows us to seek God that little bit more. So the acknowledgement, or other translations, as I put it, is, is knowledge. It's a full understanding. John MacArthur says it's actually an experiential knowledge. Um, so it's not something that you can just read in a book. It's something that you've got to do to be able to experience it and get that extra bit of, of understanding. Now, what Paul is asking for, what he's praying for is, Philemon, I pray that your participation in the faith will become effective. You will do something, and that is, I pray you will forgive Onesimus, and you will experience the good things that have come from forgiving him. The New England translation says, I pray that the faith you share with us may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to you in Christ. You can, we can go through and we can read the Bible and understand it, but to experience it is completely different. 
And I have no doubt that Philemon is sharing in fellowship with his uh, current congregation. But to bring into fellowship someone that has hurt them, well, that's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to forgive someone that they've trusted, but Paul is asking Philemon to do just that. Bring Onesimus into his fellowship, participate in faith with Onesimus, and see what Christ will do. Don't hold on onto this grudge if there is one, but for, for Christ's sake, forgive. One who forgives, fellowships in the faith, and is, is obedient in action. And that's where true forgiveness comes. It's not Onesimus knocking at the door, Philemon opening it, asking for forgiveness, and Philemon saying, yes, you're forgiven, now go back to Paul. Again, that's just a superficial uh, forgiveness. It's uh, Onesimus knocking on the door, Philemon saying, come in, I will forgive you. But you are now part of this fellowship. And I'm not going to say that that was easy and it's going to be as, as quick as that. It, it was probably going to take time. Which again, we go back to verse 2, why um, his wife and children were included in there. Philemon may have needed support. We're not told. We're not even told uh, whether Onesimus, sorry, whether Philemon actually does forgive Onesimus. All we're told is this is what should happen. But then we come to verse seven, and refreshing the hearts of saints, for we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you brother. Now verse 5 was reminding Philemon of the love that he has for Christ and the saints. Verse 6 was a prayer that the fellowship, participation of his faith, that Philemon will understand the importance of forgiving Onesimus and experience the good things that go with it through Christ. Verse 7 goes back to Paul, uh, back to Paul reminding Philemon of the good Philemon is already doing. Now we read here that because of the love towards the saints, remembering that Onesimus is now a saint, that Philemon has been active in his duties to the saints, he has been refreshing their hearts. The word refresh is a military word. So you think about an army that's been walking for hours, they've got their big shoes on, they've got their big pack on, they're getting tired, and then the sergeant says, you can stop. You can sit down, you can take your weight off, you can have a drink, you can have some food, they can have a rest. They can be refreshed until the next time they need to get up and march again. And, and this echoes Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who, are la all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And yes, we should be going to Christ first. Absolutely. But sometimes, and you've probably found it, that you get into your own head and it can be difficult. You, know, you, you, ask for, uh, you ask for prayer that you might be refreshed and it just doesn't come and it takes someone to come, put their hand around you, say that I will pray with you, say that they will counsel you if, if that's appropriate. And from there you can get refreshed. Sometimes Christ will bring someone else in to help you become refreshed. And, and this is the gift that Philemon has. He is a refresher 
of hearts. And if you've ever come across someone who is a refresher, you can't wait to go see them. It is a joy to meet up with them because all, all they do is uplift you. Um, uh, they're not the person that you go and see and the first thing they want to tell you is about how hard a week they've had and their whinging and you just get heavy laden because they're just putting everything on top of you. And it's a true refreshment. The word heart there is actually bowels. So that's a nice image, isn't it? You know, Philemon's getting his hands dirty. Bowels means your inner being, everything. It's not just a nice fuzzy feeling. And the only way to do that, again, is not to have superficial fellowship, it is to get to know someone, share with, share with them. Again, going back to weeping, praying, understanding why they're heavy laden. But we can see that Philemon, because he, he's doing this, again goes back, he's got this love of the saints. And, and that's, firstly, it's the love of Christ, which becomes the love of the saints and then he's able to refresh, refresh them. And we look at what, what Paul says at the beginning, for we have not joy, we have great joy. And consolation, or sometimes it's, it's comfort. Now, we know that Paul knows Philemon, but does he know the saints that are in the church? But Paul still has this heart for these saints that he doesn't know, that there is someone that is ministering to them someone that is refreshing them, allowing them to continue on with the journey for Christ, if, if Philemon wasn't doing that, what would happen to the church? Not sure. Go to It's a wonderful thing to be known for. People go to you to be refreshed, allowing them to keep going, keeping working, for Christ. And Paul ends this verse with brother, reminding Philemon once again of the unity and family and partnership that he has with Paul. So far, Philemon, in Philemon, Paul has built up a character witness for who Philemon is in Christ. We know that he has a love of Christ. And that overflows into a love for the saints. He is, he's got the gift of refreshing. Refreshing the saints' hearts. Their innermost being, who they are, so that they can keep going. And the prayer for Philemon is that he would know true fellowship with Onesimus. And through that have experiential knowledge of the blessings through that forgiveness. At no point, again, in this passage has Paul even come up and asked Philemon to forgive Onesimus. That comes in the next part, starting from verse 8. All Paul has been doing, as I said, is building up this character witness. Um, 
so that Onesimus can be reading this and going, Paul knows that this is what I'm doing. And then there would be that understanding of what true forgiveness is. And as we go today, are we showing these character, these character traits of ones who forgive? Are we showing the love of Christ? Are we showing a true love for the saints? Is, is that outpouring? Do people see it? Are we having fellowship, deep and meaningful fellowship? And if someone has um, gone against it, have we forgiven them and have we known those blessings? And are we looking out for the saints? Are we looking out for each other? Are we trying to refresh each other's souls? That we can keep going and doing the work of Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you that we can go through and read this short book, Lord. But it's so full of truths. You've put it in here that we may be able to see what it means, what true forgiveness is. While we are instructed to forgive, to have the, the character of forgiveness, to have the choice to forgive and truly forgive, I pray that that's where our heart would be, Lord, that we would be showing these, these traits. And it's not perfect. You know that we're growing day by day. But I pray that you keep growing this church, Lord, so that we can continue to experience the blessings that you have for us and we can glorify your name.